0: Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Before we get started today, I've got a bit of a favor to ask you. So we're planning some summer workshops at the moment for um, members of the Do More Than Therapy wider community. So everybody listening to this podcast, and I'm trying to work out what's going to be most useful for you guys. So there's two workshops that we're thinking of running over the summer and they're both going to be completely free and open to everybody Um, So the first one is a repeat of our find your specialism training because we get such great feedback from that and lots of people contacted me last time saying they would missed it and they really wanted to attend. So I thought we might run that one again. And the other one that we're thinking of running is the 50 minute business plan, which is a new training where I'll take you through the key components of a useful business plan and help you to start to create or update yours in 50 minutes. Um, But I'm not sure what you guys want, so I've put a poll on the Do Modern Therapy page on Facebook, and if you could just hop over there and tap which option would suit you best, that would really help me make a decision. Uh, Because I'm kind of trapped in uncertainty at the moment. So I'd really appreciate it if you could just vote in that poll and let me know uh, which training is going to be most useful for you this summer. I'll probably put it on over a couple of different dates in July and August to try and catch everybody in between summer holidays. Um, And it's just something we're doing really because we're aware that the next round of Psychology Business School isn't starting until September. And there are lots of people who will be wanting to launch their private practice or give their private practice a bit more attention in September and might be really wanting to get started. So yes, please do. After you finish listening to this episode, of course, hop on over to the Do Modern Therapy page and just let me know your preferences in that poll. Or if you've got a better idea, um, I'll leave the option open so that you can add your idea into the poll as well. Because I'd love to know what you guys would benefit the most from. Okay, so let's get on with today's show. How to handle late payments in your practice. This has got to be one of the hardest things that we have to deal with in independent practice. Late payment or failure to pay at all is just such a headache and I'm not recording this episode because I think I'm an expert on it. I'm recording this episode because I think it's something that gives us all a lot of anxiety, makes us doubt ourselves a lot and generally makes us all feel a bit gross but we don't really talk about it that often. So when I started out, because nobody was really talking about it very much, I had this fantasy that all other psychologists and therapists Independent practice, we're all managing to be 100% ethical, 100% compassionate, and 100% successful in business all at the same time. In my head, literally all of you were 300% amazing people. (laughs) It's only really from experience and forcing people to have uncomfortable conversations with me over coffee and wine um, that I've realized that the reality is that most of us, if we've been in practice for a while, we feel like we're failing on one or all of those metrics uh, when certain thorny business issues come up. So I'm really hoping that sharing my experience and my thoughts with you in this episode will help some of you to come up with a procedure that you're happy with for dealing with late payments. And by happy, I don't mean ecstatic, but you know, content with. You think is professionally okay, and. I really feel like having a system that you simply repeat, even when your emotions are running quite high, has made a really big difference to me. And much to my surprise, actually, I think it's been a lot better for my clients too. So I hope this episode might help some of you to get that in place for yourself um, and for your clients. So I don't know about you, and I've not talked about this that openly very often because it feels really difficult, but in the first 12 months of my practice, I got ghosted. All the time, and by that I mean somebody would sign up for therapy, they'd turn up to a couple of appointments, and then disappear off the face of the earth. Usually leaving an invoice or two outstanding. It was so painful. Um, I mean, even saying it now, it makes me feel like I'm an awful therapist. My mind is saying all kinds of mean stuff to me. It made me really worry for their welfare as well, and it meant that. Financially, even when I was fully booked, I could actually be losing money and that did happen quite often. Um, I've talked in a previous podcast, especially in the one with um, Sally Farrant on setting your prices, we talked about how financial insecurity can really impact on the quality of the therapy that I deliver and I believe that's probably true for everybody. Um, And I noticed that whenever this was happening to me, the emotional and financial worry would actually have a huge impact on my ability to offer therapy that week um, and actually ongoing uh, sometimes. So I decided that I needed to do something about this and I was really lucky because at the time I was part of a mastermind group and if anyone doesn't know what a mastermind group is, it's a group generally of other business owners. Um, usually you know between six and twelve people that come together and share difficulties that they're having in their business and sort of troubleshoot so this one was led by a coach sometimes they're not they can be informal and things that you just set up with other business owners but anyway this was an incredibly useful group and the reason I found it so useful was that it consisted of people from a range of professions in fact there were no other mental health professionals in that group So we had people from retail, social media managers, website designers, accountants, writers, really diverse group of professions in the group. And what I'm about to share with you kind of came out of those conversations that I had with them and learning how they dealt in their industries, which are wildly different to ours with uh, late payments and I kind of balanced that with the way that I like to work as a clinician and came up with something that works for me so that's what I'm going to be sharing now Um, it's not perfect and you might decide that you've got different parameters and different You would make different decisions on things. The important thing, though, is to make conscious decisions on all of these things and to document them so that you can outsource if you need to outsource, um, which I really recommend. Um, We'll talk more about that as we go through, Um, but also so that you can be confident that you're giving everybody the same and equal treatment um, when it comes to financial decisions, um, which I think is really, yet listen to the six key policies you need in your practice episode um, because in that I go into a lot more detail about uh, why you need a really good DNA policy but also kind of how to put one together that you feel good about so do listen to that one so that was the first step I had to get that sorted first the second thing that I realized I could do I could implement a lot easier um, than I thought I could was trying to get payment at the time of booking as often as I could So I use WriteUp, it's a practice management software, and that allows you to add on a booking system that gets people to pay upfront for therapy sessions when they book them in. That's pretty awesome. Calendly can also do that. And people are getting more and more used as a result of the pandemic to paying for services in that way. Um, I booked a hair appointment like that this week. We never would have done that two years ago, but it is becoming the norm. So you'll be surprised how many people are totally cool with doing that. It also allows people to fit in appointments to their schedule. So depending on the way you work, and I don't always allow that actually, because some people just really benefit from having one slot reserved for them each week. Uh, But depending on the way that you're working with that person, it can also be really useful for the client. I've also discovered since doing some consultancy with organisations that they're actually pretty used to paying upfront and they're used to paying in advance and if they need to change those terms, if that doesn't work for their budget or whatever, they'll negotiate with you um, and they don't find it that sort of awkward and difficult as we do. So don't be afraid to ask for upfront payments, Um, don't assume that you have to give 30 day payment terms just because that might be something that you've seen done quite often. Uh, Go in with what's going to work best for you and for your business. And if you're a small business, usually upfront payment works better for your cash flow. Don't be afraid to ask for it. Another thing that I learned and has been the best decision I think I've ever made was around outsourcing late payment or financial follow up. So when I was first given this advice in my mastermind group, I couldn't actually afford to hire a VA at that time to do this job for me. So what I did was I created a separate email account, um, which could just be called something like admin at yourdomainname.co.uk. I think that's exactly what mine was. It was admin at mindbodyandbaby.net at the time. And you make sure that all emails relating to invoicing or any other financial stuff come from that email account. And you sign it off with somebody else's name. So you could sign that off as, you know, Mary, assistant to so-and-so, even if they don't really. I know that feels a little bit icky, but having done it, it really helps preserve the therapeutic relationship. And it just takes some of the emotional heat out of the situation for both you and the client. Anecdotally, I've also found insurance companies are more responsive to my assistant than to me. So now I have a real assistant. If any of you <laughs> have had dealings um, with my assistant, I do genuinely have an assistant now that helps me with all of this stuff. Um, but for you know a couple of months when I couldn't quite afford to make that happen, but I was pretty sold on the idea that it would be better for me and for my clients if there were someone else doing it, I did create that um, alias um, and and use another name. I, I feel funny about I'm missing that now. I'd like to know your opinions, but it really helped. And I think my clients have had a better experience as a result. So don't be afraid to do that, but maybe do really outsource it as soon as you can. I certainly feel a lot freer since I have. The next thing that we should all be doing Um, but sometimes you need to click on if you haven't already, is setting up automated late payment reminders. So if you use accounting software like Xero or Free Agent or QuickBooks, then set up automated reminders to go out when invoices are overdue. If you don't use um, software like that, I really recommend you do actually, um, because it's brilliant and it's so much easier to be close to the numbers in your practice um, when you can see them all laid out in front of you. But if if you don't at the moment, then just make sure that you set aside time every week where you're going to chase any overdue invoices. It should be just as important as a client in your diary. So when I was doing this myself, I used to literally block out a client slot on a Friday where I would do all of my chasing of my invoices. And it it has to be non-negotiable because you won't want to do it. So it's always going to be the thing that goes to the bottom of the to-do list. But clients don't. You don't cancel the client just because you don't feel like doing it. So it's about giving it that much weighting in your mind and your diary. So it looks like any other appointment nobody else can double book on top of it. Really, really crucial if you haven't got automated reminders to do that. And actually, even if you do have automated reminders, you still need to keep that slot so that you can go in and check the status because once you know zero whatever is sent out it's three automated reminders it doesn't do anything else after that so you really do need to be going in and checking like oh that one's had all three reminders and still not been paid what are my next steps so thinking about next steps then what about the people that actually can't pay um and i think that you know this has come up a couple of times in my practice and Again, having a a mastermind group with other professions really helped me with this because it was them that came up with the idea for considering payment plans. So it's really helpful to have a compassionately worded policy to draw upon when people hit hard times. Because we all know that sometimes clients do fall on difficult circumstances and they might struggle to pay an outstanding invoice for that reason. So firstly, it's important to realise that Even if that does happen, you still deserve to be paid. No good comes from you putting yourself under financial pressure. And that's spoken as somebody who has made that mistake. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) Um, But I wouldn't do that again. So you might be able to offer an instalment-based payment plan that eases the pressure. And I've personally done this several times over the past year and it's worked really well. Most people, they really want to pay you. And they might be really anxious or even shameful that they can't pay the full amount. And actually, they don't really want you to let them off the payment. If you've ever been in that position, most of the time, you're actually desperate to find a way to pay for the service that you've already received. And... Um, it's you know it's part of our culture. It's a matter of pride often for people. So giving them a way to pay that's as easy as possible for them seems like a compassionate response to me. And you can go as low as you need to with the monthly repayments. That's that comes down to a conversation with the client and clinical judgment about what they can um, what they can afford and what it feels appropriate to ask for. But in my experience, it's worked really, really well and it's helped kind of restore that therapeutic relationship and get you back on an even footing with people where they don't feel um, ashamed or less than. So I I really like that as an option um, and and it has worked pretty well. So I wanted to make a note about insurance companies here because when we're talking late payments... Um, We all know from the really busy um, private practice Facebook groups that are out there that the worst offenders are usually not individuals, it's usually insurance companies. So I just wanted to say a little bit about this. Some insurance companies are notoriously bad for paying us late. Some are just unscrupulous. I've actually come across one company where somebody that works for that company told me that late paying was part of their business model it's actually worked in it's part of the way that they make money and you know some of those companies they claim that they're going to pay us within 14 days but they know full well they're not going to pay us for 50 and that's just rubbish and if you come across a company like that then you don't want to be working with them um, because you might never get paid. If they're willing to do that, what else are they willing to do? So I have come across a few like that and I just cut ties with them as soon as I realised. The Facebook groups that we have as um, private practitioners, the UK3P group and the um, UK Independent Psychology group are so useful for checking out if people have had consistently bad experiences with a particular company. So I would say if, if they're really bad and you know it, then cut ties. But a lot of the time, and I don't know if this is just me, uh, but I'm going to put it out there anyway, in case other people are falling foul of this too. I have found it's very, very important to check the small print. So for example, one company I used to do some work for had 30 day payment terms. That's what I saw in the contract, but they were always late paying. So I went back and I checked the small print and it was tiny and actually there was a little asterisk and down at the bottom it said 30 working days. Now that is much, much longer. So my advice is to check really carefully what their terms are before you agree to do any work for a company and make sure that you create your invoices um, recording the actual date that they will become overdue accurately that way when you see the little red symbol on zero or your spreadsheet whatever you use that says overdue you're going to feel confident to email phone or write to them to chase up your invoices you're not going to be second guessing yourself all the time also if you're just starting out and a company has really long payment terms it's important to work out whether you can actually afford to work in that way so again speaking from experience and from getting it wrong One company I worked with in particular had 60-day payment terms, and they only paid after all therapy was complete, and they were giving quite long-term clients, often 24 sessions. So effectively, you could be working for free for a year, which is just not possible. If you're a solo practitioner, you've got bills to pay, your cash flow is just not going to support that. So you've got to do the maths, basically, and work out if it might be better to refuse the work altogether if terms are that bad. So sorry for that, I know I went on a little bit of a rant about insurance companies, but it just feels important to share that because I know that I would have done things differently um, in my first year or even my second year of of practice if I um, had known the deal with some of the insurance companies. So something else that I think is really, really important is to create templates for everything. Every email I send regarding money comes from a template. Often I add stuff into the template, but it means that I can never let writers block, imposter syndrome or self-hatred, let's face it, stop me from sending reminders. It's also worth creating a policy about when and how you're gonna chase up a late payment so that at your weekly check-in, you can make a really quick decision about who gets another email reminder and when. You're not having to make those decisions when you might be feeling emotional, you might be feeling worried about it. Now this next one... I'm saying with a bit of a heavy heart because thankfully I've not had to use this and I really wouldn't like to but know your debt recovery options and set a hard deadline for when you would resort to that. Now I really can't advise you about debt recovery services and which ones to use because I've not had to resort to using them but knowing that there are options out there for getting your money back if somebody consistently refuses to talk to you, um, refuses to respond to your correspondence and hasn't paid. And setting a deadline for when you would actually realistically go down that route, it does empower you to send final reminders out to people that actually mean something. So like I said, I've not had to resort to this. And I think that my personal deadline for it would be pretty long. And that's probably why I've not had to resort to it. And I would try everything else first. And the payment plan has always worked for me, um, apart from in a couple of exceptional circumstances, which I will talk about in a minute. But I do think it's really important that you know that you can use these agencies, that they do exist, um, and have done a bit of research into which one might suit you, so that you feel like it means something if you're giving people a final reminder, even though hopefully it will never come to it. Alright, so that sort of leads me to my final point, and that is that you need to be honest with yourself about write-offs. I am not recommending whatsoever that you write off a debt very often. I've actually only done it twice, but there are times when you might need to write off a debt for extreme reasons. That happens in our line of work sometimes. Perhaps the person has gone to prison or perhaps they've lost capacity. I mean, that's not always a reason to write off a debt, but those are just some extreme cases when you could consider it. And if that happens, it is better to just admit it to yourself and formally write it off in your accounting software or on your spreadsheet or with your accountant, wherever you do it, so that you don't see it taunting you each month and kind of dragging you down. I really think that's important psychologically, but also financially so that your accounts um, are in good order. It's so hard. It is so hard. And, you know, this is essentially clinical judgment a lot of the time. Um, But I think we can probably all think of some cases where you know the reality is that money is not coming your way. And there's no point in, in chasing it. So you might as well do a formal write off. Okay, so time to take action. I really hope that this stuff has helped you to start thinking about the steps for dealing with late payments. So, now would be a really great time to bullet point out the steps that you want to include in your late payment policy. Include the templates that you're going to create and when you're going to send them. That way, If you do outsource it, someone else can pick it up really easily for you, and if you don't outsource it, it's going to help you to deal with it when the emotions are running high a little bit easier. Before you go, I really need your help with something. So over the summer, I'm planning to run some free workshops for you guys, so that anyone thinking of starting or growing their practice in September can get a bit of a jump start on it because we're not running any psychology business school courses over the summer. So at the moment, I'm thinking of running two sessions, a a repeat of our Find Your Specialism training, which has got such amazing feedback, and I know that lots of people want us to do that one again, and a session called the 50-minute business plan, where I take you through the key components of a useful business plan and help you to start or create or update yours in 50 minutes. I've put a poll on the Doom Warden Therapy page on Facebook and if you could just hop over there and just tap which option would suit you best that would be really really helpful or you can always add another option in if you prefer it's not set in stone yet I just really like your feedback on the training that's going to be the most useful to you guys over the summer so thank you so much in advance and I'll see you next week. (laughs) Where are you at in your practice? Are you just starting out and you're still terrified about not having enough work or not being set up right? Or are you full to the rafters with clients and you're looking for a different way to make an impact on mental health without risking burnout? Either way, come over to psychologybusinessschool.com. We have programs, tools, free resources, podcasts, and blogs to help you take your practice to the next level. You don't have to do it on your own. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.